last week, this is the front, sin and spirals, so we're going to start there. But last week, we started uh, talking about sin and kind of what it means, what it is. We hit a lot of the basics, but we also kind of went deeper with it in some ways. Um, but we kind of defined it, or the video kind of defined it. I love their, their definition of sin as failing to love God and to love others, to, to love God, others, and others in the right way. And, and when we start to focus on ourselves, the I, man, sin follows. And so here's what I, I want to start with a question, and I need some help here, so y'all, y'all better participate. Do any of y'all, like, hate anything? Like, like what, do you, what do you hate? People who tell you no. So you, you hate me? Oh, when you, people that tell me no. Okay, Emily. <laughs> mayonnaise. You hate mayonnaise. So how does that make you feel? You hate it. What does that? What do you like? What does that mean? You don't like it. Anything else with that? You just want to tear it off, like burn it up. Good, good, good. What else do y'all hate? Go. Oh, a cast and your toe. That is weird. I've never had a cast on my feet, but oh, it's a fear. Okay. So, yeah, you don't like that. You hate that idea. Hate spiders? What do you what do you do when you see a spider? You climb on a table. Do you call somebody to come squish it? Like you hate it that much, you just want it squished? Makes sense. I don't see many slurpings, so I think it's squirpophobia. I'm just kidding. I don't really know. Stormy, you said you hated something? <laughs> Inclement weather dismissal. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that could. Wet hair. Anybody, like, really love and enjoy wet socks? Ugh. You want to know something? I, I really don't want to say this because then y'all are going to be evil. I, don't, I hate birds, for one. Mainly small birds. Ugh, Stormy, I'm already like getting cringy right now because uh, Stormy knows this. Every now and then she'll have a cotton ball laying in like the bathroom, whatever. Ugh, I hate cotton balls. There's something about when I touch it and how it feels, it just, man, sends ripples throughout my whole body. And it, I just, ugh. You don't like styrofoam? So, so we definitely have things we hate, right? Definitely have things we hate. So what, what does it mean? Y'all listen, y'all listen, bring it back in. What does it mean to hate? To not like, to be very angry at something and you don't like it. What else? What does it mean to hate something? To wish the worst on it, to wish it was gone. Yeah, you have this, you, you, you can't help but react and usually in a uh, striking kind of way. Anything else? What does it mean to hate? Yeah, cease its existence. That, that might be good. So, so I want to look at this scripture. So we've been talking about sin and how sin can destroy our lives, mess us up. Um, and we'll kind of hit some of the things that we hit last week, but we're going to go even further today. But I want to look at this scripture. It's out of Romans 9, or Romans 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. That's good. That sounds great. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. What does that mean? Abhor what is evil. 
hate. Hate. Stay away from it. Another one is detest, despise. Like, just hate it. Hate what is evil. Another way you could look at this verse is hate sin. That there is a calling, there is a scripture, there is an encouragement here to hate sin. To absolutely detest, abhor, dislike, to, to just, man, want to abolish, eliminate, destroy sin. That that's where God's heart is at. He hates sin. Has a hatred for sin. And we ought to reflect that hatred for sin. Not for people. That's important. Because, again, sin is failing to love God and love others. But sin is also loving sin, loving evil. And so we are supposed to hate, abhor, detest what is evil. To reflect and represent God, we ought to hate sin in our lives and and in this world. Some pretty strong words about sin, about evil. Hate it with all that you've got. Hate it. So tonight, your life, your sin, and maybe specifically the spirals that bring you deeper into sin, that's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to start with, what is a spiral? There's an image of a spiral. It's, it's this, this downward uh, tornado or whirlpool or something that's just drawing you down and leaving destruction in its wake. Um, here's uh, uh, kind of uh, some images to, to help us understand. So there's a, a tornado. You know, you can think of, of, the, of the spiral of sin like a tornado. It, it wants to suck you in. It wants to leave destruction in its path. Yep. I don't know. I just found these images. Uh, he's in a tornado. Duh. Have you ever seen a tornado? It has these little eyes and it's angry and it's smiling. Like <laughs> All right, moving on. So anyway, there's one image. Here's another one. This one's kind of good. If you can't read it, it says, I was on a roll at first, then things began to unravel, and then my life went just down. It just went down the drain. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's a toilet paper roll. But sin in our lives has the same effect. It can get us going, and then all of a sudden, man, we feel empty. We feel like our life is all messed up. We feel like we have nothing left. Sin, when it gets us in these spirals, it can leave us feeling like we have nothing left. Sin or these spirals of sin are those currents of of, uh, those current steps or habits that take you in circles. Take you in circles. Another way to look at it. Is, is it takes you into the, the sin and the shame, and the sin and the shame, and just back and forth, back and forth, until all the relationships in your life are just, man, messed up, maybe even destroyed. That's part of what death is, is the destruction of our, the relationships in our lives. And so tonight, I just want to talk about how do we get out of these spirals? When we're stuck in these sin spirals, how do we get out? Last week, we talked about, man, one of the most important steps of, of just sin is confessing your sin, admitting it, admitting that you're a sinner and believing that Jesus erased it all, that he wants to cleanse you of your sin. And then we confess that sin. We talked about those ABCs last week a little bit. Last week, we also talked about uh, the four steps of sin. Desire, this desire for something that I don't have or that I want or or something like that. And then this deception that I'm going to lie to myself to make it okay, or I'm going to lie to somebody else to make it seem like I didn't sin or, or something like that. Disobedience, the actual act of 
and choosing to, to not do God's will, but to do your own, um, and, and then death or destruction of the relationships in our lives, the relationship with God, others, and self. Now, this is on your paper if you want to look at it. Um, the four temptations uh, or four steps of temptations or sin right here is desire, deception, disobedience, and death. You can write those in, and it has a little definition there um, for us. Um, but again, uh, these spirals can suck us down along this path. And if we don't figure out how to get out or avoid these spirals of sin, man, we end up with that last one, death or destruction. And yes, literal death is, is the result of sin, but I'm talking about messing up your relationships between you, God, you and God, you and others, and you and all of creation, and you and yourself. That sin wants to mess up your friendships, your family relationships, your relationship with God. It wants to mess up how you see yourself. Sin wants to mess everything up in your life. And so when we get stuck in these spirals, oh, it starts messing things up. And so these steps, you know, it might not be this exact uh, uh, pattern or one, two, three, four. It might not, might not be like that every time, but usually all four of these are involved in our sins and in our spirals. And so here's what I want to do. In a second, we're going to get into a couple groups. We'll do a guy's group and a girl's group. Um, and I'm going to have you dive into some scripture and identify these four steps in these passages. Desire, deception, disobedience, death. Where are those things in these passages? I'll give you a, a hint or a help. And then you can fill it in um, as well. So in Genesis uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 7, y'all, y'all help me figure out where these things are at. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. So, so far, of these four words, what do you see in this passage? You see the four things. Deception. So, so there's a couple ways you see deception here. Is, is the serpent trying to deceive Eve? And then also, uh, Eve is kind of twisting the words of God. God never said you couldn't touch the tree, but all of a sudden she's saying you can't touch it. So maybe she's trying to make her, like, twist some words here, deceive her own self. Um, desire, that, that there is something that I don't have. Um, disobedience, maybe already lying to yourself. That's a, a version of disobedience. Let's keep going. Um, no, the serpent says, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Deception. Again, Satan is trying to twist the truth here. What do you got? Yeah. So you also have the disobedience. Huh? Was. So so is the, the question is, did she sin right here, or did she actually sin when she took the fruit? May, either one. Yeah. Now, now there's there's a small chance that she didn't mean it the way it, it reads. Um, but either way, we end up right here with the disobedience. It says, the woman saw the tree, that, and it was good for food and delightful to look at. What is that? Which one of those D words is that? Desire. She saw it, and it looked good. 
She saw the, the tree. She figured out what it meant in her world, according to the serpent. And she's like, man, I want that. And that it was desirable and for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it with the disobedience. And she also gave some to her husband. Disobedience again, because he was there. It says, who was with her? He was there the whole time, didn't say a thing. Come on. Anyway, and he ate it. Disobedience. And the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What, what is that? Death. So we find out by reading more that, that literal death, the end of their life, is part of the punishment of sin, the consequence of sin. But now they're, they're stuck in the sand. They no longer feel good about themselves. They no longer feel good about what they've done, and they're sucked into the shame. Death between their relationship with God, others, and creation. So it's your turn. You're going to look at these uh, passages, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you all. Uh, the girls will do Genesis 4. The guys will do Genesis 6. And then both of y'all can also do. Now we'll do Genesis 11, 1 through 9 together. So girls, y'all come over with Tammy. Guys, Dave and, and Michael will come over to y'all. And y'all's goal is to look through these passages and, and figure out where desire, deception, disobedience, and death is found. All right, we all done? Ready? All right, girls, y'all start us off. Genesis 4. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, according to kind of Jewish tradition, there's they, and this is way before Jewish tradition was a thing, but uh, don't eat this cookie. Okay, if I'm not supposed to eat this cookie, I'm going to put it in a jar. I'm going to lock the jar. I'm going to put it up here. God never said I couldn't open the jar, but I put that barrier, that boundary to help keep me from, and that could have been the, the issue with them, is they said, okay, if we're not allowed to eat that, let's don't touch it either. And so she she couldn't, I mean, it's possible it wasn't a sin. They just, they weren't, they just weren't trying to add extra barriers. But in the end, they still ate from it. Exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, I'll just hold on to it. I mean, y'all got to think about that too. You know, this, this, uh, this, these words usually, and, and again, they can be switched. Deception can come first, stuff like that. But they usually flow. It's like, oh, I want something now. Okay, now I'm going to try to find a loophole around the rule here. And then you take that step and it's, it, it's gone. It's too late. Um, so let's kind of look at the scriptures. Um, Genesis 4, what is the story about? And then kind of where do you see these words? Emily, you start us off. What is, what is the story about? sure they, they would be uh, avenged seven times or seven times over or whatever yeah yeah so Caroline where do you see desire in that passage what was Cain's desire what do you think Better get ready because I'm 
Talking about old people. <laughs> yeah, his desire was for acceptance. And God kind of gave him the path to acceptance. Just do right. And then you'll, you'll be accepted. You'll be, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be happy again. Because it says he was downcast. It says he was, he was, his, his faith was down. And God's like, look, I'll lift you up. So, Keely, what do you think uh, deception was there? Deceit. You're going to be deceived. So, what do you think deception is, Keely? Yeah, yeah. He's like, ah, come on. Everything's going to be okay. It's like, again, taking that cookie or that fruit, whatever, I'm really mad at my brother. I want to kill him. So let's go hang out alone together so that maybe, you know, nothing bad will. Yeah. Whenever sin is tempting you, the last thing you want to do is bring it with you. Um, so what about you, uh, Emily? Disobedience. Where do you see disobedience? Why? Yeah. He flat out kills. He ignores God and kills his brother. And where do you all see death? I think, Emily, you mentioned this at the very beginning. The end, the, how does the story end up? How does death wrap into that? Yeah, the whole area. Yeah, Cain's life was further messed up. It was ruined. You know, yeah, it, it says that he was marked in a sense, and who knows what that actually means, but yeah. Yeah, so he had to, God showed some grace, and that's something we can always remember, is like, look, you, you're deserving of death here, but I'm not going to kill you. Your life will be harder, there is consequences, but I'm going to make sure nobody's going to kill you. You don't get out of it this easy, and I'm not going to give you death. There's some grace, and there's also consequence. So there's a little bit there. It's important to be able to see where sin is and how sin is working in these stories. So let's come over here, guys. Who wants to start us off? Genesis 6, 1 through 8. Somebody just kind of summarizes what's going on in the story here. Who wants to start us off? People bad, Noah good. Yep, Scripture in, in, in Genesis 6 starts talking about people are very, very bad. That's good. So, Micah, what about desire? Where do you see desire in this passage? Yeah. So you have this lust issue now. That they, they see people that they like that look pretty or whatever, and I'm going to cross whatever line to have what I want now. Um so there's some desire. Where's the deception? Cade, what do you think on deception? Yeah, that's a hard one because it's not just listed like it is in some of the other passages. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, they're, again, they're, they, they saw what they wanted. 
and they convince them themselves that they're okay. They deceive themselves. I heard somebody ask the question, what does that mean to deceive? It means to drag somebody else away from the truth. When you deceive your friend, it means you're trying to trick them out of what is true or trick them out of what is good. When Satan or when we deceive ourselves, it means we're lying to ourselves in order to convince ourselves that what is bad is good and what is good is bad. We try to switch things around. So that's that's important. Um, somebody give me the answer to uh, what was next? Disobedience. Let's come back to John. John, what do you think disobedience in that passage? The wickedness of God. Or the wickedness of them towards God. Yeah. That makes more sense. The wickedness of God. There is none. Oh, God. No. Um, yeah, you know, they they disobeyed. You know, they are not loving God and not loving people the way they were created to. And death, what happens in this story? What is Noah's story all about? The flood. There is a, and we've talked about this just a little bit before, there's a decreation event, an event of catastrophe, of chaos. You know, God in this world, he holds back the chaos. He created, you know, it says uh, in, in Genesis 1 that the world was formless and empty. So this chaos, chaotic movement, and God came in, separated the chaos, filled the empty, and created order. And when, he, when, when we sin, when we choose other than God, we're asking for that. And so sometimes it's like, okay, you wanted this? Here you go. And the flood happened. And we see this all throughout the scripture. Let's look at Genesis 11 real quick. And, and then I have another passage I want to look at real quick. It says the whole earth, this is after the flood, the whole earth was all talking the same. They're like, yo, man, cool, yeah, tits, awesome, stuff like that. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley, and they hung out there, they settled, and they said, hey, let's make some bricks because we think bricks are cool. This is the actual translation. Maybe, maybe not. Um, anyway, and they said, let's build ourselves a city and a really, 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 really tall tower where it touches the sky. Little do they know you can't really touch it. But anyway, details. Um, let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Where's the desire so far? Yeah, let's stick together. What else? Wanting to touch the sky. Why did they want to touch the sky? Who else touches the sky in a sense? God. Let's be like God. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's put the eye in sin. Yeah, no, that's not good. That's not good. So there's there's the desire, the deception is, yeah, it's all about community and unity. We're going to do this together, making it okay. That's not how that works. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it okay. Um, and then we got the disobedience. They went and did it, I think. Not, uh, yeah, they were doing it. They were doing it. Um, again, they were trying to. Yeah, go everywhere. Yeah, and, and, and again, trying to, again, the same issue with Adam and Eve. Satan, or the serpent, was like, hey, you can be like God if you do this. But they're trying to be like God. When God already created us in his image and in his likeness, sin tries to deceive us and say we're not like God, but we can be if we do this. If we choose our own way, if we choose out of our own smartness and wisdom and coolness then yes i'm going to be a god and that's not how it works god already created us to be with him and we deceived ourselves into thinking otherwise we disobeyed 
and then God uh, comes down um, and confuses their language. They go all over. He's still going to fulfill his purpose, his command, just not in the way he intended. See, God always follows through with his promises and his blessings. His, man, go fill the earth, multiply. And he wanted us to do that with him, to do that with his direction and his leading and his in, in obedience to him. But he had to carry it out by confusing us all. And now we have to learn other languages to talk to people. And it's so hard. Ugh. Anyway, so I want to look at another passage um, that I think is really important. If you want to pull it up in the Bible, you can. We're in Second Samuel 11. And, and we talked a little bit about David last week, just a little bit. And we're going to get to that. But in 2 Samuel 11, we, we have uh, this, this story here. And I want, stop me, stop me when you see desire, deception, disobedience, or death. Stop, stop me as I read this when you see it. In the spring, when kings marched out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, David stayed in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Oh, there you go. Good job. Desire. He sees something he wants, whether he should have it or not. He didn't walk away. No. He gave in to that temptation, that desire. Let's keep going. So David sent someone to inquire about her. He's like, isn't this Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? And uh, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she, he slept with her. You know, disobedience. There you go. He's not treating people right. Adultery. He's sleeping with somebody else's wife. Um, and, yeah, he convinced himself it was okay or whatever. Um, anyway, afterwards, she returned home. Don't worry. The story gets better if you haven't heard this one. The woman conceived. What does that mean? She had a child. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The woman had a baby and told David, I'm pregnant. And David sent orders. Well, she didn't have the baby yet. But she was pregnant. David sent orders to the commander of the army, Joab. He said, hey, bring Uriah, her husband, back. So that happened. And when Uriah came to him, David asked, man, hey, how's it thing? How's it? it's all going good? Paul? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Man, since you're so good, I want you to go to your house tonight. Just hang out at your house, wash your feet. Man, go, go down there. And so Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all of his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. Why was, what, which, which D word is it? David's trying to go get Uriah to go to his house so that he can be with his wife. But what, what is that? What D word? Deception. Exactly. No. You'll, you'll see, you'll see. I'll, I'll get to that. But anyway, so David's trying to deceive and make Uriah think that this baby that comes along later is his. And now we don't have to hide anything. We don't have to cover it up anymore because that'll, so that's kind of what's going on here. When it was reported to David that Uriah didn't go home, David was like, man, haven't you just come home from a long journey? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah answered David, man, the ark of Israel and Judah are d dwelling in the tents. And my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife as surely as you live? And by your life, king, I will not do that. He did it out of honor. He's like, look, all my buddies are still fighting the war. And we're fighting it for God and for you. And so as I live, I'm going to stick with 
If I can't go fight, I'm going to serve at your doorstep. What do you got? And that's another thing. David was supposed to be out in the battlefield with his people because that's what being a king was all about is you are leading your people. That's important. So there's a whole other disobedience there because David stayed home. Um, And so David tries again, stay here today and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him. And David got him drunk and he went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants. But again, he did not go home. So again, David is disobedient. He's causing somebody else to stumble, get drunk. But he's also, again, trying to deceive and say, hey, go home, be with your wife. And we're going to pretend that baby's yours, not mine and hers. But So again, deception, disobedience, all these bad things. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. It wasn't working. So David wrote this letter, and he sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he said, hey, put Uriah on the front of the fiercest fighters. Put him right in the middle of the battle. And then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. I think you're hitting all the D words all of a sudden. David's doing some really bad things. And when Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the place where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. The men of the city came out and attacked Joab, and some of the other men from David's soldiers fell in battle, and Uriah the Hittite also died. And when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. After that, after the time of mourning ended, David also, uh, he had her brought into his house. She became his wife, bore him a son. However, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Let's go back to the beginning. Abhor, what does that mean? Hate. Hate evil. God hates evil. And he saw what David did, and he said it was evil. Hit all the D words, except death. So let's get to that. So the Lord sent Nathan to to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men. Nathan starts telling David a story. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small few lambs, one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. And from his meager food, she would eat. And from his cup, she would drink. And in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to this guy. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to to him to eat. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. And David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. And Nathan replied to David, you are that man. You are the one that betrayed. You are the one that stole. You are the one that that had desire and couldn't quench your own desire, that deceived to get your own way and disobeyed. See, I anointed you as king over Israel. I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arm. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Amorite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you are despised. You you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. 
all the all the message. That, that's his silence. He could have walked out, saw the pretty girl, turned around, says, that's not good. God doesn't want me to do that. I'll walk away. He could have asked about her, like, hey, who is this person? Oh, she's married. Okay, that's a no-no. Can't do that. Oh, I brought her over. Let me just give her a gift and, and let her go. So many times he could have gotten out of that spiral. He could have confessed, Uriah, I've, I've done something wrong. And now you choose how, you, how, how this is going to work out for me. He could have confessed. He could have confessed to God. He could have, Nathan could have walked in and be like, hey, man, I need to tell you a story about a bad dude. Before you do that, I need to confess. So many times, spirals, man, they'll just keep going. When you give in to sin, when you give in to desire, when you give in to deception, and you disobey, don't think it's over. Man, we've got to get out of these spirals. We've got to get out of these spirals. All right, real quick. Afterward, Psalm wrote, I mean, David wrote the book of Psalms, and last week we read a little bit of Psalm 51, and, and in this passage, um, he writes some really powerful things. Create in me a new heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take me, uh, your Holy Spirit from me. And then he wrote this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. The joy of your salvation. See, God wants to redeem us, restore us, rejuvenate us. Man, bring us back into right relationship with him, others, and, and all creation. He wants to restore things in our lives. And when we allow that to happen, joy occurs. The joy of his salvation for us. He's always cheering us on, encouraging us. He wants to give us everything that we need in order to live in, in right relationship with him, to love God, to love others. He wants us to do that, and the result of all that is joy. It's joy. And so on your, on your page, um, on this side, what, what, how to... Do, how not to get stuck in these spirals. The top thing is, is start by returning to the joy of the Lord. Because he sees us. He knows everything about us. He knows when we mess up. He knows when we're stuck in spirals. He wants to restore us. He wants to help fix the problem. And he's rejoicing over that, over us in that. And so that's, that's step number one. That's kind of the big takeaway for, for tonight is and run to the joy that comes from his restoration, the salvation that he gives. Run to Jesus and allow that joy of just being with Jesus to restore you, to correct you, to bring you out of those spirals. And then I have some other things. Let's run through real quick. How do we get out of spirals before they bring you down? How do we get out? These are the, the words here. How do we get out of the spirals before they bring us down? We got to admit that we have a problem. We got to admit that we sin. We got to admit that sometimes we get stuck and sucked into these spirals of sin and shame, sin and shame, sin and shame. We have to get, man, we have to admit. And there's verses there and a quote there that just kind of helps paint a picture, but that's admit. The next one is accept. We have to accept for, for forgiveness. If we reject God's forgiveness, we never get to be restored. We never get to receive that joy. We have to accept forgiveness. We can't stay trapped. We have to live in his light. The next one is ask. We need to ask for help. And this means, one, we need to ask help for, from God. Scripture says, Jesus said that, man, whatever you ask, he hears it. And if you keep asking, he's going he's gonna to answer it for you. 
And if it's within his desire and his will, he's going to give it to you to ask for help. But also ask others for help. Hey, friend, buddy, girlfriend, whatever, BFF, whatever, I need some help because I'm struggling with something and I keep getting sucked in. I'm, it, you know, James 5.16 on the page, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. God brings forgiveness, but man, when we include our, our youth family, our church family in the battle against sin, man, we have accountability. We, we, we're going to be encouraged. We're going to be equipped and empowered to fight and stand together. The next one is arm, arm up. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about God, the armor of God. Man, when we wear his armor, man, we're ready for the battle against sin. All the arrows that Satan is shooting at us, all of the ways he's trying to deceive us and lie to us and convince us away from the truth. We have to arm up. Remember 12.9, Romans 12.9, abhor sin, hate sin. Um, another passage here, Colossians 3.5, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sin, put it to death. That's what God wants us to do with the sin in our lives. Kill it, strangle it, be done with it, destroy it, hate it. And don't let it reign in your life, but get rid of it. And the last one is alert. Stay alert. Be able to look for when desire is taking hold of you or when something or you yourself are deceiving you. Be able to identify, okay, I, I got sucked into this last time. I need to do something different. And just being aware, it puts us in a place to avoid it. It puts us in a place to take action against it. And there's lots of scriptures that, that I know you can read um, that, that might encourage you in that. But again, the most important thing is returning to him because he is the joy. He gives us the joy. He gives us the restoration from, from Jesus, the salvation from Jesus. But when you're getting sucked into these spirals, and we just see stories in Scripture of people getting sucked into these, these sins and these spirals. Man, identify how they could have gotten out. It'll help train you to be able to do the same, to run to God and ask him, hey, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to end tonight with a song, a song that, that you all might not know um, very well, but it has a very, very powerful message. So, again, these pages are for you. Take them and do what you want with them, but they can help you. They can encourage you. can guide you into the scripture to, to get hungry for his word and just to be in God's presence, to allow him to restore you um, with the joy of, of his salvation. Let me pray. And then let's sing. Father God, I just thank you that, that you allow for a way out. You allow for restoration when we don't deserve it. If only we just run to you and ask for your help. God, we see story after story of, of this spiral of, of desire, deception, disobedience, and death, and just over and over again, let us be like David. Maybe stop before we get so deep in the spiral and just confess to write out in our confession to God like you did or to announce it or to sing it. And God, most importantly, let us remember that you want to restore us. You want to bring us back into right relationship with you. 
And so let us run to your grace. Let us run to your salvation. Let us run to Jesus once again. God, you are so good. As we uh, sing, again, you might not know this song very well, um, but think about the words. Think about what it means for you, for where you're at tonight, where you stand with sin, where you stand with the spirals, and find restoration. than a brother there is no judgment no how he loves me I've got a sufficient to come with your meaning forgiveness or healing his mercy is enough oh such is our
you go, Mr. Bowe.